turn to Galatians 6, 1 through 5. We're in a study walking through Galatians. We're almost done. Uh, my mother-in-law, she had a great idea for the next sermon series, and I think I'm going to go there, not because she's my mother-in-law, because I think it's a, a great sermon series. I need help. Like a kid in a candy store when it comes to the Word, there's lots of choices. And so I think we've, I think we're, we've got the next series in, in the works and um, But we're going to finish up Galatians here over the next few weeks. Thanks for moving that, Richard, so they can get out of here. Galatians 6, 1 through 5. Let's start in 525, because that's where we're going to start today in the sermon, just to get the context. Galatians 525. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become boastful, challenging one another, envying one another. Brethren, even if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he has something when he has nothing, he deceives himself. But each one must examine his own work and then he will have reason for boasting in regard to himself alone and not in regard to another, for each one will bear his own load. Lord, open our hearts to hear what is said today. Do a work in our hearts in applying this message. May every single one of us walk out of here and wrestle with this passage as every passage in our lives. Laying it on top of our lives through faith and asking you, our Father, to lead us and direct us in how this looks in our lives, no matter what it takes or what it costs. And we ask this in your name. Amen. What Paul is dealing with, again, here in Galatians, is battling a group of Judaizers who are saying, basically, that that which is began by the Spirit is perfected in the flesh. That that they can look to the law for, for their perfection to complete what God is doing. I think if we look around us in the world we live in, it is clear that rules and legislation will not create a love for one another. Mere rules and legislation don't do it. And, and that's really the point of Galatians. The, the life of a Christian is to be spirit-led. It is to be a spirit-fueled life. It is, it is as, as Daniel said in Galatians 2.20, it is Christ in us. It's not Chris Basham trying to be what he's not. It's God being who he is through Chris Basham in the person of the Spirit of God that he put in us, that he sealed us with at, on, the, on the day that we were saved. At the moment of our conversion, we were given the Spirit. Why? To guide us into all truth, to lead us into truth, to live through us. Literally, God in us being himself through us. God is very good at being himself. And I need the Spirit of God in me to crucify my flesh that I will not obey the desires of the flesh. That is exactly what Paul said. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live, I live in the, by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Literally, Christ in me. It's not me coming up with ten things that I need to do. It's me yielding Chris Basham more and more to the Spirit of God, to God who lives through me. That's the Christian life. The the Christian life has power because it's God in us. God through us. The, The mark of a believer is that God lives in you, dwells in you in the person of the Spirit of God. And God wants to show himself through you. What we see here are, again, evidences of a spirit-filled life. Evidences of a life that is yielded and lived through God's strength. It is shown in the key, the key, the key expression, the key evidence is a love for one another. We saw that last week in Galatians 5, 13 through 15. Love your neighbor as yourself, thereby fulfilling the law and the prophets. The whole law. Today we see it in verse 2. Bear one, another burden, uh, one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. When we live lives that are yielded to God, that are, when we're full of the Spirit, when we're controlled by the Spirit, the evidence of that is a love 
for others. It is a love for our neighbor. It is a love even for our enemies. And again, the chief evidence that Paul puts forth here, the chief evidence of a spirit-filled person is a love for one another. Our flesh wants to use people for our gain. Our flesh wants to only love people who love us. Our flesh wants to only love people who can do something for us. Our flesh wants to only love those who can respond in kind to that which we have given. That's, in Matthew, he says that. That's, that's, there's no reward for that, but for even the Pharisees do that. Christianity is, 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 is a God-fueled ability to love even those who are your enemy. That's Romans 12. Do good to those who persecute you. Don't hate them. Do good to them. How do we do that? Through the Spirit. Through the Spirit. Listen, when, when, when we walk away from here, I, I intentionally don't, I, I don't give you ten things to do. I don't do a whole lot on the application part because here's the application. It's walking out of here with the Word of God you just heard and it's wrestling with God in how that applies to your life. I don't know what all is going on in your lives. The application is taking this word, getting alone with the Spirit, and let God work on you and your life and aligning your life with the Scriptures. It's not ten steps. That's a flesh-centered thing to do. Christianity is not a check-the-box thing. It's not do these ten things and you're good. No, it's a life that's lived by faith. Hebrews eleven six. 6, without faith it is impossible to please God. Christianity is not walking out of here saying, well, I already served two neighbors, so I'm good to go. No, no, no. The Spirit of God may say, no, you can do that in your flesh. I'm going to make you serve ten neighbors. The Spirit of God will take us places that our flesh never would go. The application to hearing the word preached is to get alone with God and ask Him to show you ways that you do or do not reflect the scripture that was just heard. It could be actions. It could be attitudes. The things that have gone on this week could have revealed attitudes in you that quite frankly are just ungodly and do not line up with the scriptures. That's the application of hearing God's word. It could be, it could be something no one else knows, just a deep-seated attitude in you that doesn't line up with the scriptures. Maybe it's a lack of love for people that's just an attitude. Maybe what some of us have seen even this week is even that we don't, we don't love people and we don't look to love people and we don't bear one another's burdens the way that we ought to. Why? Because the flesh won't allow us to do that. The Christianity, again, it's not a check-the-box thing. It's not do these four things and I'm golden. It is a moment-by-moment moment yielding and guiding to the Spirit of God in you to lead you to respond every single moment the way that God would respond, not the way that my flesh would respond. And that's faith. That's faith. And the reality is, is that the application, what this looks like in your life, may not be the same as it looks like in my life, and that's okay. How you love others may not be the same as, as how I love others. Why? Because my neighbors may not need the same thing that your neighbors need. My coworkers may not need the same thing that your coworkers need. The kids at your school may not be the same as the kids at this school. They may need different things. It's responding by faith. It is asking God, God, how does this play out in my life? Not a to-do list. And the question is, do you go home and wrestle with these truths? Do you chew on these? Do you meditate on them? Like the Word of God says, meditating on them day and night. Do you wrestle with these truths that we, that we bring each week? Do you wrestle with the implication in your lives? Do you repent? Do you go home and repent? Do, do you ask God, God, do this through me? Are you so bold as to sit down and say, God, do this. I can't do this on my own. I cannot love that person. God, will you love that person through me? That could, be, that could be the application. How do you respond to hearing the Word of God preached? 
Or, or, or James one in James one, he he makes a very in James one verses twenty two to twenty five, he he paints a picture that unfortunately it might be some of us. He says, "But prove yourselves doer of the word, and not merely hearers who delude themselves." For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in the mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. But the one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man would be blessed in what he does. Do you close your Bible and just walk away? When we're dismissed late every Sunday at 1055, do you just... Shut your Bible, I'm done with that, and move on? Or, or, do you, or do you struggle with what you heard? Do you wrestle with what you heard? Do, do you think about it all week? Do, do you allow God to, to work in your life to, to, that you would be a hearer, not a doer? Again, because you don't, not Chris's strength. This is not a, I do not live the Christian life according to Chris's strength. It is a, coming to the Word of God to fill up on God's strength through the Word that He would live through me, that He would control me. I, I need more of God. That's John 3.30. You must increase, I must decrease. And when we come to passages like this, it can be real easy to do two things. It can be real easy to just set it aside. But it can also be real easy to get depressed about what we're not doing or, or, or maybe areas that we know we're not, we've ignored. It can be real easy as well to say, you know what, I'm just going to pull up my, I'm just going to do ten things and I'm going to assuage my conscience and I'll get this off my conscience and I'll do ten things for the next week and then just move on. Or to think, you know what, I already do that, I'm good. I don't, I don't need to ask God, but I already do that. Well, maybe, maybe God wants you to do more. Maybe what you're doing is being done out of your strength and not God's strength. Maybe what you're already doing is a little too easy. And it doesn't require faith. Again, the response, all of these fall short of the biblical response. And that's walking out of here and getting alone with God and wrestling with what you just heard to wrestle with God, to allow Him to teach you, to tell you, to guide you in what this looks like in your life. The, the boldness to sit before God and ask God to do this in you, to really do it. Not, not man's best effort, but an abundant, spirit-filled life. May, may we be that bold. And, and that's where we are in Galatians 5, 25. Th that's really the summary of, of us getting to where we are in this, in this chapter. And you see on your handout the main point that I want us to see in these six or seven verses is this. As we walk by the Spirit, we will no longer need to compete with one another, but instead we will support one another by bearing each other's burdens. We'll, we'll no longer see each other's competition. We'll no longer see your, your hurt as my gain. Your hurt will be my hurt. Your gain will be my gain. I'll support you. And here's the reality. Knowing that one day every single one of us will stand before a holy God and give an account. If you're here today and you're not a believer, listen to me. You're going to stand before a holy God one day and give an account for your sin. And it's not going to be pretty. If you're here today and you're a believer in Jesus Christ, one day you're going to stand before God and you're going to give an account for how you stewarded grace. This is not just pray a prayer and I'm in and I'm golden and I live however I want. No, no, you're going to stand before a holy God and give an account for how you stewarded the abundant life that He gave you. That's what Paul says here. You're going to be held accountable for what you did with grace. And I want us to see all of that today in, in the time. I'm going to try to hurry through this. Not, the first thing you see on your handout is this. Not only are we sealed by the, with the Spirit, but we are to walk by the Spirit moment by moment. Not only are we sealed with the Spirit, 
Not only are we given the Spirit, that's Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. We are to walk by that same Spirit moment by moment. Look at verse 25 of chapter 5. If we live by the Spirit, okay, as a Christian, you are given the Spirit of God at the moment of conversion. Let us also walk by the Spirit. This is the same thing we saw in Galatians 3, 3. Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected in the flesh? To truly experience the Christian life, we must walk in faith by the Spirit. And when we do this, the Spirit puts away sin in our lives, but the Spirit also produces fruit. That's what we saw in Galatians 5, 22. The fruit of the flesh was this. The fruit of the Spirit is this. The Spirit produces that fruit. You look at your life, you see what you see more of, you can tell what you're yielding yourself to. Is it flesh? Is it more what he said in 19 through 21? Or is my life more of 22 and 23? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Or instead, is it envy and strife and discord and carousing and all the such? He's saying you've got to walk by the Spirit, yielding your life to the Spirit, filling yourself up, Colossians 3.16, with the Word of God, allowing the Spirit to control you. God has given us a provision, a divine provision for victory and the gift of the Spirit, but we must walk according to that Spirit in order to experience it. And Paul is essentially asking them, the Galatians, and he's asking us, can you honestly say that you are living according to the Spirit and not the flesh? What are you trusting in? What are you relying in? Are you relying in the flesh? Are you relying in morality? Are you relying in being a good person? Or are you relying in the flesh? Are you relying on just comparing yourself to one another? Or are you relying on the Spirit to live through you? Are you relying on just being good and being better than others? Or are you relying on the Spirit of God? They're saved. They have the Spirit, but are they living according? Are they walking according to the Spirit? And we see this same theme throughout Paul's letters. Listen to Philippians 3.16. He says, keep living according to the same standard. He says, however, let us keep living by the same standard to which we've obtained. He's saying, live out who you are. It's the same exact word that's used here in Galatians 5 is used there in Philippians 3.16. They're saved, but are they living according to the position that they have in Christ? Are they living as saved individuals? Is the Spirit of God governing their lives, or are they living according to the flesh? You know, we looked in chapter 3 when we studied this, and we, we used the word autopilot. Are, are you on autopilot as a Christian? Have you been in church long enough? Have you... Have you, just gone, have you just been around it long enough that, look, I can go through the motions and I can look the part really with no thought. I can just go through the motions. That, that was really part of what God used in my own life in, in, in helping me recognize that it was time to leave the recreation ministry. I could do it in the flesh. I could do it in the flesh. It didn't require me, it didn't require me to be utterly dependent on God day by day to lead that ministry. I had done it for nine and a half years. It was pretty cyclical. It was, it, I could just do it in the flesh. And, God, and, and I, I said, God, forgive me because you're worthy of greater than that. It's time to hand it off to somebody else. That was, that was part of the reason why, part of the way I knew that it was time to move on because I could do it in the flesh. It did not require me to get on my face before God every day and say, God, I cannot do this. You've got to do it through me. So guess what he did? He, he, he said, I'll give you that. I'll give you Odessa. But, but our Christian life is the same way. Are we relying on ourselves? Are we just doing the same things over and over? Are we really relying on the Spirit of God? And, 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 and this is a danger. Ephesians 4, listen to what he says, verses 1 through 3. Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called, 
with all humility and gentleness and patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Verse 17 of the same chapter, So this I say, and affirm together with the Lord, that you walk no longer as the Gentiles walked in the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of their hardness of heart. They have becoming callous, have given themselves over to sensuality and practice of every evil kind. But you did not learn Christ this way, if indeed you have heard him and been taught him, just as the truth is in Jesus. That in reference to your former manner of life, listen, you lay aside the old self which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Listen to what he says, and that you put on the new self which is in the likeness of God. Worldly wisdom versus godly wisdom. Habits versus trusting the Spirit. It's walking in line with who we are in Christ, not the flesh. It's not just being moral. It's being supernatural. That's what Paul is getting at. Trusting in Christ and not self. The Spirit crucifying the flesh. And, and you see on your hand now, this spirit-led life flows into a love for others, not a competition with others. We're not in competition. Other believers, when God blesses them, that is not competition with me. It's not competition with you. But convert, And we, we are to rejoice. We saw that in Romans 12, 15. We are to rejoice with them. But, but conversely... The Spirit allows us to weep with those who weep. And our relationships amongst one another ought to be different, not in the flesh, but because of the Spirit in us. There ought to be something different about this group of believers and even believers worldwide. If you travel, if you travel on a mission trip and you go spend time with other believers in a foreign area, there is an instant connection when you get in that room with other believers. Why? Because they're your brothers and they're your sisters. And you feel it. It's palpable. When people come in this place, there ought to be a difference. It ought to be a a fragrance about us. There ought to be a difference about our lives because we love one another. Not because we have to, because the Spirit produces a want to. So the question becomes to ask yourself, you see it on the handout, what difference does or has the gospel make in your relationships? Are you trusting the flesh or are you trusting the Spirit of God in your relationships? Do, do, you love, do you love others or do you find yourself regularly at odds with others? Are your relationships marked by humility or are they marked with pride? And, and what we see moving into chapter 6 are specific ways that our relationships ought to look when the Spirit is leading And and it involves, listen, it will involve responsibilities as you as an individual. And it will will involve responsibilities as a community. There's no sense in the New Testament of of a Christian living life on their own. None. Zero. I have individual responsibilities that impact my communal community responsibilities. What we'll see is not this attitude, well, hate that for you, but I, I got my own stuff to deal with. That's unbiblical. I got my stuff to deal with, but you know what? That doesn't absolve me from dealing with your stuff. That's what we're going to see today. Each of us will bear our own load, but guess what? I'm going to help you bear your load too. The problem is we, we steward our lives and we become very self-absorbed, self-consumed. We're busied to the end where I got no room for your stuff. That is unbiblical Christianity. Unbiblical. And that leads to the second point on the handout. As we walk by the Spirit, the Spirit will produce in us a love for others that causes us to bear one another's burdens. Look at verse, look at 6.1. What does he call them right out of the chute? Brethren. Family. They're family. Guess what? Families involve obligations. They involve responsibilities. If you have little ones, 
You, you, you try to teach that. Bradley, we have a son who is older than our daughter. Guess what, Bradley? Your responsibility as an older brother is this. You look after your sister. There's responsibilities. You look after her. You don't let people pick on her. You don't let people take advantage. You look after her. She's your sister. And the motivation of, is love. We saw it last week. It is a love that is produced by the Spirit in us. Again, rather than tearing each other down, verses 15 and 26 are almost identical. Rather than devouring and taking advantage of one another and being consumed by one another, we're to love one another. And what he's saying is this. Rather than tearing someone down, rather than, allow, rather than taking advantage when somebody sins, rather than that being to your advantage, no. When someone sins, you go after them and you bear the burden with them. You seek to restore them. Brethren, if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. The word here is a, is a beautiful word. It, 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 in other passages in Matthew 4, it was, it was used for the mending of a net, a fisher's net. In, in Ezra chapter 4, it was used for the rebuilding of a wall. The, the, word, picks, the word pictures, it means taking something back to its original state. Interesting, interesting as well, and, and it means something to me. It, it, it is a word that is used of the setting of a broken bone. When I was in the 10th grade, I was acting foolish and showing off and jumped out of some bleachers and fell and, and broke both bones in my forearm. Two plates, 13 screws later, two surgeries later, it was put back together. I have the scars to show it. The doctors, I thought I would just go in, they would set the bone, and I'd be off... I, you're going to be in the hospital a while, Chris. I was like, what? Just set that thing let's move. No, no. They had to go in. They had to set the bone. And then they had to put a rod, two plates in there, and drill all these screws in to hold it in place so that it would grow back. That's the word here for believers restoring one another. It's setting a broken bone. And look at how he says. He says, do it gently. Do you want your surgeon to be gentle? Yeah. I want my surgeon to be gentle. I want my surgeon to treat me like this is the first surgery he's ever done. I don't want him thinking, I got this down. No, no, no. I want you to be gentle. I want you to take your time. I want you to be careful. The reality is, is this is a family. The body of Christ is a family. Raise your hand. No, don't raise your hand. But do you have conflicts in your family? You're living a dream where a li you're a liar if you say no. You're ignoring something. There's conflict. Conflict. This is a room full of redeemed sinners that have the old nature in them and have the new nature. We, you and I, because we are family, listen, because we're family, the beauty of family is this. Because of my relationship to Karen and to our kids, family has the capacity to hurt each other in greater ways than non-family. Agreed? Yeah. Karen knows too much about me. If she wants to hurt me, she can hurt me. And you know what happened? You know what the other thing is? Is we spend a lot of time together. You know what a lot of time spent together? It gives you a capacity to what? To hurt somebody. She sees me at my best times. She sees me at my worst times. And, and that creates an issue. It creates the possibility that we can hurt each other. And that's the context here. The, the word here you see on your handout is someone who sins accidentally. It, it is literally they are taken by surprise. They are overtaken. It was not an intended, intentional sin. The reality is this. Even though we have the Spirit, we have the capacity to sin. And Satan attacks us. These are unintentional, unplanned sins. These are individuals who are out of step with the Spirit, and our desire as a family is to bring them back, to restore them back into good standing in the family of God. This would most likely align itself if you go to Matthew 18. It says if someone sins, you go to them as an individual. If, you, if, they, if they repent, then you have won them back. This would be the first step in Matthew 18, 15 through about 20. Listen, notice who does this. You do. 
the person who knows about it, the person who got offended. Listen, it doesn't mean you run to the pastor and tell the pastor and say, go get them, pastor. That's, that is called gossip. To tell, you have told me something about someone else that I should not know. That is gossip. You do it. If you go to Matthew 18, I'm third on the list. You go yourself, then you go get one of your buddies, and then you come talk to me. And this is not a Monday, I, Monday I went to them, Tuesday I went with them two people, and Wednesday, by the Wednesday service, we can get them jokers thrown out to church if we do this quick enough. That's not the point. It takes time. My, my broken bones in my arm, it was about an eight-month process. It was not a quick process. You don't, these things take time. No, you don't tell others about it. You don't tell me about it. The goal of this is to keep the circle as tight as possible. It's to, if, if, if Jeff Knight offends me and I go to Jeff Knight and he repents, it's over. No one needs to know about it. It's protected him. It's protected me. It's protected the health of the body because here's what happens. What happens is we go gossip about it. We tell other people about it. Then they tell other people about it. And they tell other bad people about it. Meanwhile, me and Jeff are clean, but there's all this junk out there that, that, that hasn't been cleaned up. Versus me just going to Jeff and dealing with it. And look, the motivation, you see it on your handout, the motivation for this is the restoration of a brother because of a love for God and a love for that individual. Because listen, if I was him and I had offended Jeff, you know what I want Jeff to do? I want Jeff to come to me. And I want Jeff to, to keep the circle as tight as possible for my own sin. Therefore, I do the same with him. This is, it's Galatians 4, loving your, 4 5.14. It's loving your neighbor as yourself. And he says, how do you do this? You do this not in a spirit of pride, not in a spirit of superiority, but in gentleness and meekness. You don't take advantage of the individual because they're vulnerable. You don't take joy in seeing the individual in their struggle. You restore them with dignity. You restore them with gentleness. Again, by the way, which is a fruit of the Spirit. Gentleness is a fruit of the Spirit. This is a Spirit-led exercise. Why? Look at what he says. Each one looking to your own self so you do not be tempted. It's restoring somebody with a humble spirit that says this. Were it not for the grace of God, I could find myself exactly where that individual is. Were it not for the grace of God, I could be the individual that is, being, that is in need of restoration. And it's that humble spirit that says, you know what? I'm going to go after one another and try to restore them. And in doing so, you are bearing one another's burdens. Th that is part of what he's saying in verse 2. Bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. Bearing one another's burden, it deals with restoration of sin, but it goes way beyond sin. It could be relational, it could be a financial burden, it could be a health burden, it could be a spiritual burden, it could be an emotional burden. I, could, I thought about this last night as I was thinking about the message and I was sitting in, in, in my bed and the lights were out and I was just praying through it. And in my mind, I started naming off the burdens that people in here have that I know about. This is a room full of burdened people. It, we have people in here who have, who have lost their spouses way too soon. Lost their children way too soon. Lost their health. Way too soon. Relationships have been interrupted and, and, and severed way too soon. The, the list goes on and on. Financial, relational, emotional. Part of the reason God instituted the church was to have a group of like-minded individuals to, you see it on your handout, excuse me, spirit-led people to lighten each other's load. That you would not walk through that individually by yourself. That you would not bear that load by yourself. What Paul is saying is this. Not a single, no believer can look at another believer and their burden and say that's none of my business. It absolutely is your business. We're a body. 
If my right arm hurts, you know what it does? That bothers my whole body. When my left arm was broken, you know what it did? The rest of my body had to pick up the slack and do some things that it wasn't used to doing. We're a body. It is your business. This is a family. Your kids come home from school and they've been bullied. You know what you don't say? Well, that's none of my business, son. You better just figure out how to deal with it. No, no, no. You help them deal with it. Why? Because you love them. To say to somebody that's not in my business, you're telling on yourself, you don't love. That's a violation of love. That's, that's our flesh responding, not the spirit. You're telling on yourself. Not a single believer in here was intended to fight their battles by themselves. Now it's going to require, this is the tough part too, it's going to require you humbling yourself and telling people and being wise about you tell because I can't help you bear a burden that I don't know about. And we're very good at keeping our burdens to ourselves. And then, and then I get a phone call when well, nobody helped me. Well, guess what? Nobody knew. Nobody knew. It's going to take humility. But we're a family. And again, the point you see it in your handout, we are to love others as we have been loved by Christ. We, we saw that in John 13, 34, and 35 last week. A new command I give you, love, your, love one another as yourself. It says that's the badge. The world will know that you are my disciples. How? He says that you love one another. 1 John 4, we saw that. We love why? Because he first loved us. God first loved us. We have the capacity the knowledge, the example of how to love others and the Spirit in us to help us. And when we carry each other's burdens, we are doing this very thing. We are fulfilling the law of Christ. Paul said it in Galatians 5 last week, the whole law is summed up how? Love one another. If the Spirit is not driving us to love one another, the one thing we will not do is bear other people's burdens. We'll take advantage of them, we'll ignore them, we'll do all kinds of other fleshly things just like the world does. And the beauty, the beauty is this. When we carry one another's burdens, we're fulfilling the law of Christ. We are doing exactly what we have had done to ourselves. We are loving others exactly as God loved us. 1 Peter 5, 7 says, casting all your anxieties, all your burdens on Him. Why? Because He cares for you. You know what we're doing? We're loving others as we have first been loved. We're doing exactly for others what Christ did for us. That's basic Christianity. And, and, and what we see is that this cannot happen. You see it on your handout. Unless we are close to one another and we have solid relationships and we have taken time to do the hard work and build healthy relationships. Chad Hutchison is going to be here today and he's passing out the Fellowship 3 cards for the new, for the new grouping. This is exactly why we designed Fellowship 3. So we get in front of each other once a quarter, two or three other couples, and we learn about people who otherwise this group of this half of the church finally gets to meet this half of the church, and this half of the church finally gets to meet. I didn't even know you came here. Well, I sat on the third row on the right side for the last three years. Really, I sat on the ninth row on the left side, and there the two shall meet. That's, this is why we do Fellowship 3. It's why we do small groups. It's why we do Sunday supper. To build relationships. To establish a relationship where we feel safe, can humble ourselves and share our burdens one in one another and know that we'll have people to rally around us. Many of us, I see it. And I, again, I'm just encouraging you. We come here and you can't wait to get out of that door. And you're gone. And then something comes upon your life and you wonder why nobody's in the hospital room with you. You haven't made an investment. There's no relationship to form the foundation for that ministry to take place. We don't even know. That's, that's why we do what we do. To build, to build us up individually, but also to build us up as a community. Hospital visits, I don't know where this happened, but hospital visits are not, are, that's not my, I'm not the only one responsible for hospital visits. 
I, I don't know where we've designed this thing. I don't mind doing them. The reality is that's a lot of times, and I'm not perfect at it. I mean, Omar and Courtney were, their son Owen was in the hospital, and, and I couldn't get there Friday. And that bothered me. And I, and I texted him I, I, I to, to repent of that, to say, look, I'm sorry. But that's not, I'm not the only one who does hospital visits. Imagine the picture in a hospital room if it's just a constant flood of people coming to visit that people. You know what, they're gonna, what in the world's going on here? It's the body of Christ doing what the body of Christ does. Not, because when I walk in, you know what they say? He's paid to do that. That's his job. You guys visit. That's a picture of love. As the saying goes, I'm paid to be good. Y'all are good for nothing. You know, you know, they expect me, I do hospital visits, I make sure I don't wear black that day, because then people start thinking, do you know something I don't know? But think about that. Christ's life and love for us is our example of how we are to love others. It's our example. How have you been loved by Christ? Go and do likewise. Listen to Psalm 55, verse 22. Cast your burden upon the Lord and He will sustain you. He will, never, he will never allow the righteous to be shaken. Imagine if we loved one another like that. Imagine if this church rallied around each other like that. There, there are people in here today that are bearing burdens that I can't imagine. Are, are we rallying around them? Or have we lived, are, are we so self-consumed and so busy that we don't have time to do what we were called to do? We're a family. And we could not save ourselves. The burden of the law was more than we could bear, and Christ fulfilled it for us. He bore the curse, the wrath of God. He bore that on our behalf that we might be called children of God. If we would, if we would repent of our sinfulness, and, 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 and confess His Lordship singularly. Romans 10, 9, if we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised Him from the dead, we shall be saved. Now, there's a whole lot there in that one little verse, but again, it's falling on my cross. All of this, it produces humility. I am saved by no work of my own. All by the grace of God. And I have a God who loves me and bears my burdens, and I'm to do that for you because it's being done for me. It's almost like, hey, I pass mine on to Christ, and I look for somebody, hey, I'll take that, and I'll pass. It's the constant bearing one another's burdens. But thirdly, you see the point Paul makes here in this passage is, is this, that you see it in your handout, as we walk by the Spirit, the Spirit will produce in us an accurate assessment of ourselves before others and before God. If we do not see ourselves accurately through the lens of the gospel, we will not respond to others rightly. If I think I earned my standing before God, if I think I deserved it, if I think I was good enough, if I think my sin debt was this big when really it was humongous, you know what, I'm going to respond to you that same way because pride and arrogance is going to kick in. I'm like, you know what, you just need to be better. If you were better, that wouldn't happen. Versus realizing that my sin debt was unbearable. That my sin debt demanded, my sin debt alone still demanded that Jesus Christ die on the cross. It was that great. And when we recognize our sin debt, it'll fight that self-absorption that reigns in this community and it'll show itself, listen, it'll show itself two ways. This self-absorption, it's sneaky. It shows itself two ways you see on the handout. Number one, thinking too much of ourselves. But it also shows us in thinking too little of ourselves. And whether it's, whether it's conceit, whether it's pride, whether it's a false humility, whether it's a woe is me, who is the focus? Me. Every single bit of that is a violation of love. If we think too much of ourselves and we want to show how great we are, we won't help others. But if we think too little of ourselves and now we become happy at other people's hurts because it raises us up, guess what? In either case, we won't help. 
And in both cases, we're the focus. It's being self-absorbed. And both of them are rooted in pride. That's what Paul says. If anyone thinks he's something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. To not have an accurate picture of who you are. This is Romans 12, 3 through 5. Listen to what Romans, in, in response to the gospel. For through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think as to have sound judgment as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. He goes on to talk about being members of the body and we're to serve one another. Paul is saying, look, you better have an accurate assessment of yourself. C.S. Lewis said this, Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It is thinking of yourself less. Listen, some of you are very good at certain things. Praise God. Some of you are very good at other things. Praise God. You go to Romans 12, you'll see, as each as halated a measure. Why are you good at what you're good? Because God gave that to you to be used to serve the body. Why are you good at what you're good at? Because God has given that to you to serve the body. The problem is, is I use it on myself. I take all of God's resources, all of his giftings, and I use it on myself. And then I'm exhausted, and I don't have time, and there's nothing left. An accurate representation of ourselves. Listen to, this is exactly, I'm sure this is why you woke up this morning. 1 Corinthians 3, 5 through 9. I dare you to memorize verse 7. What then is Apollos? And what is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, even as the Lord gave opportunity to each one. Paul says, I planted... Apollos watered, but God was causing the growth. Listen to this. So then neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything. You want to put something above your door? I am nothing. That's what Paul says. But God who causes the growth. You know how important I am? Zero. I can do the best exegesis of God's word. I can do everything perfect. If God doesn't cause the growth, He has to cause the growth. The reality is this. Some of you plant, some of you water. When someone comes to know the Lord, guess what? I know this. A bunch of people planted in their life, another, a bunch of people watered, and then somebody happened to be the one to be the one to share when they come to Christ. You know what Paul is saying? All y'all are nothing in the big scheme of things. It's God doing a work. It's a joy to be a part of that. You see it on your hand now. God is the hero of our story. God is the way that I was adopted. His work adopted me. And humility serves because we were first served. Whoa, we got, okay. Thinking, we, ain't, we, got, we got to get out of here. It, it is the spirit in us. Listen, we love others out of a grateful joy of having been loved by God first. We look at how God loved us. We're, we were enemies. Romans 5.8 says, while we were enemies, Christ died for us. You look at Psalm 5. Psalm 5.5 5 says that God hates sinners. If you, don't, if you say that's strong, you know what it says later on? It says He abhors sinners. So if you don't like hate, just say He abhors you. And yet, at the same time, He loved you. We were enemies. And He loved us. And Paul is saying the motivation held out not only is the love of God, but look, verse 4, each one must examine his own work, then he will have reason for boasting, for each will bear his own load. Every one of us will be answerable to God in how we lived our lives and how we served others. Every single one of us in here. Every single one of us, believer, non-believer. Non-believer, you're going to be judged you're going to feel the weight and the curse of your sin. Jesus Christ bore that curse. You can, you can believe upon Him and have that curse and God's wrath averted from your life and put upon Jesus' shoulders. Or you can deny the truth of who Jesus is and one day you're going to die and you're going to bear the weight of that judgment and you're going to bear His wrath on your own when Jesus could have bore it for you. Believer, you're going to, you're going to stand before a holy God and give an account 
for how you stewarded God's grace. How you stewarded His love. What did, you, what did you do with it? And what Paul is saying is, on that day and that day alone, if you've stewarded God's grace well, then you will have reason to boast. And the reason you will have to boast is because of what God did through you. Your boasting will be in what God did through you. Not what you did, but the joy of seeing how God used you to do things. And not only, and then he goes on to say, for each one of us will bear his own load. Again, not only are we to carry each other's loads, but we are to carry our load as well. And, and listen, th this is beautiful when you unpack the Greek language. The word for burden in verse 2 is a heavy load. It is a heavy load. The word load in verse 5 is a, different if it's, it's a different word, and it literally would point to a backpack. Okay, it would be like a soldier's backpack that he would wear. And the point is this. Every one of us in here has a certain load that we must carry. It comes with difficulties. It comes with opportunities. It comes with weaknesses. It comes with gifts. You name it. We have certain bents. God has allotted. Some, we're all walking through stuff. But what God is showing us is that I am responsible before God individually and corporately. I'm responsible to bear my own load, but I'm responsible to bear it in such a way that allows me to bear the load for other people. This, this is what he's saying. We don't, we don't spend our lives wishing we were gifted a certain way. We don't spend our lives wishing we had different gifts than we did. I don't, we don't waste our lives blaming things that happen. We don't say, you know what, if the circumstances were different, I'd do this. If the no, that's not, no, that's not what you do. You don't spend your life blaming things. You don't spend your life envying others. You, you live your life based on the load you are in, and you also steward others. You're not going to get to the end of the day and say, you know what, I couldn't do that because of this. No, no, no. Every single one of us has a load to bear, and yet we are still to bear others. 2 Corinthians 1.3, comfort others with the comfort you've been comforted with. Every single one of us. It's to fight off that individualistic nature that we live in, in this world. And, and rather than being caught up with ourselves, we are called to care for one another while not neglecting our own load. And listen, it goes way beyond, way beyond simply saying, I'll pray for you. That's a good place to start. It, it means getting dirty. It means building relationships where we do more than... You don't tell your kids... When they got problems going on, well, I'll pray for you. No, no, you get involved. And that's what Paul is saying here. It's doing whatever it takes. And, and I pray that we would be a church that would love Christ enough to give ourselves for each other, knowing that one day we will be repaid for whatever it costs. Romans 8.18, For I do not compare the present sufferings. They are not worthy to be compared to the glory that is to be revealed in us. There's coming a day where God is going to repay us, believer. And until that day, I pray that we would be faithful. I, I pray that we would be found when Christ returns and He could return any moment. I pray that He would find us faithful, bearing each other's burdens. And the point Paul makes, and you see it on your handout, and I'll close with this, Christ never commands us to do things in our own strength. What we're commanded to do here is beyond us. Every single command is a command, it is a call to trust Christ to do it through us. It is allowing Christ to do it through us. And I pray that we will be that church.